welcome to another episode of the 10 Frame Podcast for Emerging Artists. My name is Kelly Thompson, and you can find me at kellythompsonart.com or on Instagram at kellykthompsonart. Hey, I'm Kevin Kirkwood, and you can find me at kevinwillpaint.com or my Instagram handle is kevinwillpaint. Kevin and I will be having a two-person show opening on Friday, May the 26th that runs through Sunday, May the 28th at the Southern Motors building at 402 Broughton Street in downtown Savannah, next to Blix Art Supplies. The opening reception will be Friday, May the 26th from 6 to 9 p.m. We hope to see you all there. The 10 Frame Now has a patrons page on our website where anyone can contribute to the podcast to help us cover associated costs so we can continue to share our conversations from the artistic community with you. The website is the 10 frame.podbean.com. Thank you in advance. Check. Wow. Yeah, it's loud. Yeah, you can dial it back if you want. So you're, are you? Check one, two. Check number two. Check one, two. Microphone check. Microphone check. So we're going to make a um, mix, mix up song with this when we're done. So you can, yeah, you can <laughs> rap or beatbox or whatever I actually, you want. Actually, I had a former Check. life as a rapper. What was your rapper name? I went through a few. I'm going to have to take these off. Yeah, yeah. Okay? yeah. Now you're aware of what's yeah. going on. All right. Um, I went through a few. It was, let's see if I remember. It's like MC Extreme. I actually what, went in the recording studio. What and time frame stuff. are we talking about? So this would have been like 87, 88. 87, 88. And uh, I think I'm gonna try standing too. I went to. Uh, I met a friend who played keyboard, and so he and I made music every day after school. And then I wrote all these rap songs, and then we went in the studio and recorded like five or six songs, and then they started playing them um, at like these dance clubs in town i didn't know about this story <laughs> so so i can go on spotify and look up mc not, extreme no. and see what comes and then up. i changed it to uh the governor because at one point i was obsessed with like louisiana politics and so you would have been the governor the governor um and then it all came to an end when i like heard jane's addiction and i thought rap was uh, yeah. over at that point James but I was really into like Public rap. Enemy and um, EPMD and Easy E. Easy E. I saw Easy E in concert. Biggie. Biggie was later. No, he was later. Yeah. I missed out on all that. Biggie and Tupac. And I like Tupac because there was a band called uh, Digital Underground. Mm-hmm. Remember them? And he yeah. he kind of was a part of them. But How about George Clinton? I love George, George Clinton. Clinton. Yeah, I've seen the P Funk All Stars. You told me a story about him playing in Forsyth Park, right? Yeah, he played a concert in Forsyth Park free um, years ago, but I also saw him in London. Uh, and it was so loud. I was close to the speakers. The speakers were like big as this studio. And I was like 10 feet from him. And it was my head it was just ringing. Didn't he have like 20 people on stage? At too, Forsyth, like- too. He had. Um, 
I can't remember the guy's name, but he comes out in a he wears a diaper, mm-hmm. and he As came he do. out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he came out, and he kind of looks like George. And so when he came out on the stage, everybody went crazy because they thought it was George, but it actually wasn't. And then a few minutes later, George came out, and everybody went. As long as he was wearing his own diaper, I think yeah. that's all that matters. But yeah, I love those guys for sure. They've always been. A, I went through a big funk phase. So that was when uh, Beastie Boys were starting to hit too because i remember they um that was let's see i graduated high school in 85 so that was 86 87 licensed ill yeah yeah and then i was okay with that album but i loved their follow-up album paul's boutique that was kind Mm -hmm. of to me i mean it's a collage of music you know if you know that album they sampled i think one song had like 28 samples on it it's crazy yeah, and then right after that, uh, not right after, but Beck. Beck was a little Beck, bit after yeah, that. Yeah, I was um, kind of. He was a little bit more electronic. Kind of. Yeah, for sure. So this might be a good time. Are we recording? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got all the good um, stuff. Good. Um, so let's just talk about what you're doing right now, which is Desolation Row, which is heavily influenced by music, I would say. Yeah, at well, least it's the influenced by a, a song in general, so... Bob Dylan has always been a big inspiration of mine. And um, that song, Desolation Road, it's on Highway 61 Revisited. I think it was 1965, but it's just been a big, you know, all of us have those songs kind of bouncing around in our head that just kind of comes up and you start humming them. And you're like, you know, why did my brain download this right now? But Desolation Road's always been that song or one of those songs for me. And I've been thinking about this project for at least 10 years, you know, and it's, I've been doing this so long, it's like I know that, you know, when the time is right, it would happen. So uh, COVID happened and everything kind of came to a a halt. And so I just kind of began playing around with it and started some pieces thinking it might kind of go in that direction and three years to the date basically because i moved in this studio march of 2020 right when COVID started and um, we um, hung the show i think right at the same time yeah same time so it was everything in the show was made in the past three years wow uh it it illustrates the song um to a degree but it's not like you know if if you didn't know that they were involved or inspired by the song. I don't think you would walk into the gallery and look at these paintings and be like, oh, this is based on that Bob Dylan song. But I think I use the song as a way to kind of envelop the the paintings in a way that they would kind of all make sense together. Yeah, I think my perspective was I went in to the opening never hearing the song before. Okay. So, and I know during the opening, it's kind of hard to get a really good look at things. There's right. so many people in there, but I did, you know, spend some time looking at, looking at them. And I got an idea of the kind of menagerie of characters that were in it and some of the imagery you were using and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the character of freaks that were in there. And then I listened to the song and I was like, okay. Now, I mean, it made not that it made more sense, but I could recognize certain pieces 
from the song in uh, the work. And like you said, it wasn't a direct representation, but I could see some of those, some of the lyrics made a little bit more sense. Yeah, and the song itself is is a, a collage of sorts. You know, it creates all these little tableaus because each like vignettes kind of yeah little vignettes characters and he kind of paints this scene i mean it's a very visual song it's one of the most visual songs that and a long one too i mean and it's long so so you you had a lot there was a lot of a lot of stuff ripe fruit for the picking maybe 50 paintings based Mm -hmm. on you know the that song so there's probably what 20 something in the show no, I think there's like thirty, close to forty. Forty, if yeah, you count a, all the little ones okay, in the yeah. hall, because there's probably fifteen in the hall. So yeah, right. I think major pieces. There's probably like twenty pieces. Yeah. They rain. A, I was just gonna say and that. And that's another thing that hit me when I went in. Was like there was so much work. Yeah, which was great because it kind of you felt like you were in the circus. You know. Yeah, I'm. You know, I go back and forth on that. I've always been. I guess maybe a maximalist when it comes to my work and the amount of work that I exhibit. So um, in a way, you know, I wish that I was a little more minimal or like didn't um, do as much because it's kind of, you know, it's so much to take in, especially if you're not familiar with my work and you're just seeing it. But I don't know why I've just always felt like more is, is, more for me more well you can best. curate some out yeah you can't add i mean i think well, it's a lot harder to stretch it you're like well there's a big wall there let's just put one painting and try to fill it up so. yeah that was an issue with this body of work is like because there's probably 10 pieces that didn't make it into the show just because we didn't have space so it's kind of you know that's always been a um an issue with me is just like how much to put and how much to leave out and what to put in. And, you know, even that, we pieces that we left out, um, uh, the gallery decided they wanted them in the show, and those a few of those pieces wound up being pieces that um, everyone liked the most. So, you know, they were almost not even included in the show. So you just, you know, you never, you never know. So I think it's interesting about your work. We were talking a little bit about, you know, the layers that you have in your work. It's, mm-hmm. I would say that that references your collage background, but the pieces um, that, you, that you did produce in the show, you want people to sit with it too, I think. You want some stuff to slowly reveal itself. Mm-hmm. And I remember you telling me a story about a guy that an old guy that lived in Savannah, and he would just sit and look oh, at paintings? Yeah. So his name's Ron Strawn, and he was uh, early on a, a big collector and supporter of the arts in Savannah. He's since passed away, but um, I used to run a gallery here in town, and we did a, a exhibit of these oil paintings, and Ron came in, and he kind of walked quickly through the show, and then he kind of settled in front of this one painting and pulled a chair up, and he sat in front of this painting for an hour. And I was just kind of mind-blown. Because even then, this was 20-plus years ago, but you know, people had more of an attention span than they do now because this was pre-cell phone. But the fact that this man was able to sit in front of a painting... Invest and, his time uh, with invest it. Invest his time. Yeah. And it was just the single painting. It wasn't like invest an hour into the whole show. I mean, 
Do you remember the painting? Yeah, it was of a horse. And it was kind of a simple painting, but it was, um, he had painted these, uh, the artist was uh, um, Kenneth Knowles. Oh, yeah. And it was, uh, he, uh, I'd done a show with him, I'm trying to remember the name of the show. Worm, Wormwood was the name of the show. And he had painted like four horses of the apocalypse, and they were kind of like these portraits, if I remember correctly, but, uh, um, the painting, and Ron wound up buying the painting, but it was of a horse, and he just sat and stared at it, and, you know, like he was reading a novel. And that's always impressed me, so I think, you know, that I would love if someone would, you know, give any amount of time to those pieces, because they, they are supposed to be read. Speaking of that, I, that's the first takeaway that I had after the show. A lot of shows you go to, and you get... You kind of get the gist of it, and you're like, yeah, I get it, and you go. Mm. On this one, I was like, I have to come back. Yeah. Because I need to have that time to spend, to look at them a little bit more in depth, where mm-hmm. you can kind of stand back or, you know, get close up. And So your show definitely warrants that, for sure. Thank you. So most of the work uh, that you do, I mean, you're all, you cover many dis- disciplines. Um and I'm trying to draw a thread because as much as you want people to sit and enjoy your work, you're, you're, while the show is on right now, which it'll be at Laney Contemporary until June 10th, I think, mm-hmm. um, you're already kind of moving, thinking ahead and, and creating a new body of work. And I think that's, to me, that's fascinating to watch because it speaks to the, the diverse body of work that you're creating. You do neon to painting, to, you know, collage, paper-based, you know, work. Um, what, what, do you, what do you want to do next, or what's, what are you thinking about right now? Well, right now I'm just kind of doing house cleaning, but I think, yeah. um, you know. Taking a break. Well, it's, it's just mentally. It's the in-between, like, you yeah. know. It's like I'm cleaning my studio, so metaphorically it's house cleaning in the sense that it's, you know, I just went through this big project, and now I'm kind of, like, separating myself from it. Like, I've already kind of, like, those paintings are done. I don't even, you know, we were just talking about spending time in the gallery. I was in there the other day, and I was looking at them as if I was a, yeah, as if I didn't make them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I literally spent an hour just walking around looking at my own paintings and, and in a way, seeing them for the first time. So I just that's always been healthy for me, just kind of remove myself from what I've done. They've been hanging for a month or so, so you've been separated. Yeah. You're not living with them in your I'm studio. I'm not living with them in the studio. Yeah. Like, I don't even feel a real connection with them anymore, like mm-hmm. I did before. You know, we had talked about, you know, I was waking up just at like 6 in the morning, 5 in the morning, just ready, like to, ready to get over here and work yeah. on them. And now I'm kind of just like basically forgot that they exist. So... I think, um, you know, in doing my house cleaning and re, you know, finishing up some of the pieces that never, you know, it's kind of like the B-sides. I mean, I kind of equate everything to music in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like I still have some B-sides here that have to be, you know, cleaned up a little bit, but um, taking a break this summer. And we'll see. I mean, I've, I've always wanted to do a series of kind of um, images based on historical mm-hmm. Paintings, you know, it's like um, 
I went to, I've been to Europe the past several summers and kind of touring all the major museums, the Louvre, the Uffizi, the Vatican, um, and seeing those historical paintings, uh, uh, I would love to do a series of, of paintings that are based on some of those images, like just seeing those Botticelli, like the birth of Venus in person, and um, you know maybe do a, my version of that. Um, so, did just jumping back um, quickly to your tour of Laney as a mm-hmm. as a uh, an observer, did anything surprise you? Did anything jump out at you? <laughs> I was like, like what the person. hell was that artist thinking? <laughs> this artist this guy's is crazy. crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I think um, I really liked them. And do you get attached? I, I don't get attached. No. no, I don't have any of my own work in my house. Like I'm so happy for it to go. Um, but I, I was really excited to see those paintings because I think the reason that I do create is that I want to bring things into the world that. I want to see, you know, like I wanted to see those paintings and nobody else was making those paintings. So in order for me to see them, like I had to create them. And I had that experience last week where I was able to go see the show that I wanted to see. And so I think um, just looking at it from that kind of point of view of just bringing things into the world that um, didn't exist, that I personally you know, it's like cre- a shelf creating a dish. Like you have a taste for something. You're like, man, wouldn't this be amazing if this exists? And you, you just have to make it yourself. So I think that's why I kind of moved between different mediums is just, um, you know, always trying to keep satisfy and satiate my own taste. You know, I have all these, I love buffets for that reason. It's like, I don't want to go to a restaurant and just like, Especially if it's something that I can't cook. Like, I love Indian buffets, like, because I don't want to just go and get the okra dish or just get the lamb. Like, I want all of it. I want to try it all. So Creating that visual buffet. Yeah, so it's just a visual buffet, and it's all things that I want to see. Um, so, What drove the decision to make it all painting as opposed to adding other elements in there? I think it was a combo. Um, going to Europe, seeing, you know, all those paintings in in the museums Uh, I think in a part part of it is maybe legacy of you know I want to create something in referencing back to you know the historical paintings like create something that's going to be referenced and around for a long time and obviously um, a lot of what I've been doing previous to this was materials materials are organic um, you know, they don't have the life shelf that oil paintings have, so I think that had some play in it. Uh, maybe uh, the fact that I'm getting older and, you know, moving materials and working, especially like with the neon and um, being con- confined to like having to have a studio that has all these different materials and collections of stuff in them, like, if I was just painting and drawing, like basically I could do that anywhere. And so I think that's sort of 
also a part of the shift. But, you know, who knows? I might come back this summer and never pick up a paintbrush again. So we'll see. I just don't know. It's good to have that option, right? Well, we all have that option. I mean, that's just the... But your toolkit has already has a lot of tools in it, you know? Especially. Yeah. It's like a shelf, you know. I think you 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 have a few dishes or like anybody you know all of us hopefully have a few, those few dishes that you know like, oh i'll make my chicken i have friends come oh, i'll make this dish because you know it's good like and then you try new things yeah and then you're like your i don't want to make that same dish over and over and over first of all like you know it's no fun but second of all it just starts to taste you know you're having the same taste so i think the you know to equate what i do to food it's just like I'm always interested in adding new dishes to my repertoire so that, you know, one day I'll have that big Indian buffet. <laughs> I think it's, it, this podcast is, you know, we kind of based it around for emerging artists, but mm. I think the lesson or at least an important thing that I would like people to know is you're, you take risks and you have trust in your process that... Um, it's important for people to know that. I think it, it, it's okay to fail. I mean, but you, you, you seem to have the mindset where, like, I'm going to start a body of work of painting, and it might fail, it might not. And then even, you know, installing the work, you still have probably a little self-doubt, but mm. you're, you're confident in, like, the big picture of things. You have to see it in the world. And um, it's like that you've been cooking all these dishes and then whenever you have that dinner party, you know, you're like, Ugh, I'm not right. sure. Yeah. You hope it's going to turn out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, is it, is it, how do, how do you, how did that happen? I guess uh, not everybody can do that. Not everybody can have a career for collages or, you know, objects, neon, this thing, and then just say, I'm going to paint. Yeah. What was that like maybe three years ago when you were kicking that around? It's, it's never been scary for me because um, it's just kind of what I've done. I mean, I love David Bowie, and I love the idea that every album that he would come out with was sort of, he had a new uh, sound, but he also had, almost had a new visual look of himself. It was a persona know. he... He just created, sure, right? and he just, but it was all Bowie, and we just expected that from him. And those are the artists that, you know, I love artists that continue to create work over the course of a lifetime that's still relevant. I think the only way that those artists do that is by changing and forcing themselves to grow because mm -hmm. it's like if, if you know, if you think of musicians, they put out those first three albums are great and then the fourth album they're just remaking the first and you're kind of like, ah, and it's culture's overproduced. changed and time's changed. And, but those artists that are just constantly pushing themselves um, to, you know, add new things i think one of the things that helped me get to that point was to realize that there was no competition and i think a lot of young artists feel like there's competition with other artists and they have to like you know there's only so much to to eat out there and like you're going to starve if you don't you know if someone else gets to eat and that's just you know not how the creative process works it's I've always just, my competition is what I've done in the past, you know, it's like, I want to do better than what I've done. It's not, how can I do something better than another artist? You want to see new things. Like, you don't want to keep producing the same yeah. cookie. 
so it's it's you know I create my own competition with myself and a lot of people told me you know who knows if they're being sincere but I don't know why people wouldn't but that that was the Desolation Row is my best work and <clears throat> I think is it know, I mean I hope so because yeah. I'm I'm older, I'm more mature, you know, you're supposed to, things are supposed to get better as they, the more experience they get, so. The more time in the kitchen, right? more time the in the kitchen, is. you better, you, you know, <laughs> I hope it's my best that, that doesn't work for me, but. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that, I mean, I could take that as like, oh, well, that means they don't like my old work, or they don't like, you know, they didn't like the neon, but I don't take it that way, I take it like, oh, this is. They're seeing I, something in there that says, wow, Marcus has grown a lot. It's the value. To me, I put a lot of value or, or weight on that risk. I keep landing on that. Like, It's easy to keep doing the same thing, you know, mm -hmm. it's, and it's really difficult to do something new, you know. But like, it also looks like you're continuing to push the boundaries. I mean, I'm looking, at the, looking back at your work. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is kind of a, you're, it's, it's a good example for younger artists to look at something as diverse as what you're doing. Because mm -hmm. to me, it almost looks like the filter is turned off and you're just like, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to try everything that I want to do. It's like you don't have any restrictions and in, you try to get yourself into that mode. It's really hard to do it by yourself. Um, then, you know, if you're in school, you know, you have teachers Assignments, pushing you. Assignments, yeah, you like you're taking a mixed media class. Yeah, or, or, contem or a yeah. conceptual art class that Kevin and I both took, which makes you think about different things. But it, it looks like that that switch is, is already in that position for you. I think it's something like Prince, though. We've had conversations uh -huh. maybe about him where he's playing, you know, making a gospel album, and then he just wrote kiss you mm -hmm. know or he's he's not doing it because he um somebody's telling him to do it he's doing it because it's part of his dna and as part of his process like it's maybe is it a risk for you to paint it did no it didn't feel like a risk it felt like a challenge it's just yeah and, and that's i where knew I'm at. you know i knew that i would it's like anything you know if you want to be in shape you go to the gym and if you work out and you eat right you're going to be a you know, you're going to be a lot better than you were than the first day you went in. Mm -hmm. And creating art is that way. It's like you, if you put time into it, you're going to, you know, get to a point to where at least you feel somewhat satisfied with what you've made. But I think the way to really open that faucet is just to, you know, not self-censor. And I know it's really hard as an artist, and especially nowadays. Like, if I was just starting out now and you're bombarded by a million images, how would you even, you know, know, like, how do I fit in with this? Why am I even doing this? So I think, you know, you, you just get rid of that idea of competition. You're not in competition. Get rid of the idea of self-censoring. And even, you know, you have an idea, just do it. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, I've got lots of little things that I've started, you know, over the years that, it's just a one-off. It's like a B-side, you know. It's that weird little thing that never led to anything. And then every once in a while, you'll hit on something, and you're like, oh, I enjoy doing this. Let's see where this goes. And then, you know, 
two years later, you got, um, yeah, I just, I like challenges. I like creating situations um, that I can work myself out of. Like a puzzle. Like a puzzle. Figure it out. And that's the way you make your collages, though. You start, Yeah. I mean, I've witnessed that. You Things might not be going right, and you just have this, you just keep adding a little thing and it's a puzzle that you're solving yeah. that didn't work I got to twist this around or yeah Miguel back to the the cooking metaphor you know it's you just you just work through it mm-hmm. you taste and you say oh that needs this and needs yeah. that it needs a little bit of this sometimes you can overdo it and then that happens but then you pull back but yeah I like puzzles i mean i actually hate real puzzles yeah. i would never sit down and do a puzzle <laughs> you might be able to take the pieces though and use them as yeah that that's true yeah. but i think uh i just like the process of creating and i enjoy um that challenge and i enjoy things that take me a long time to you know from start to finish mm-hmm. so I do think one day, you know, if I can ever settle down, I'd like to write a book because I think that that's the ultimate, like, project. What would it look like? Well, I have ideas. Um, I don't know what it visually would look like, but the the Conceptually, like, what would that... Would it be more honest or, like, a novel? Yeah, definitely. Maybe some of it based on my life, but probably most of it be fiction I would mm. imagine yeah you know, it would be like my paintings but in words if that makes sense I mean I imagine that's what it would look like because it's kind of what all of the stuff that in you know we do as artists is ours right if you if it's coming from an honest place and to go back to earlier and I think that's probably the most important is that you just have to be honest with um, the work that you're creating and self-censoring falls under that but also listening to that creative voice like I had this piece in my studio years ago I started a, a project with doing paper mache I was doing these life-size paper mache characters and uh, I had we had made this little boy um, and every day for we had finished it and I'd come in the studio every day and uh, I had this voice in my head saying put the pitchfork through that figure and through that a pitchfork leaning against the wall and I would like ignore it and then I would ignore it and I'm like why would you know basically it's asking me to destroy what I had already made and so finally after weeks of this I was like all right so I went I got the pitchfork I put it right through his torso and then the pitchfork was kind of leaning against the wall, you know, like this. Um, and then so I had it through his torso, and I leaned the whole thing on the wall, so the boy's kind of pinned against the wall. Um, and it was great. It, it needed that. And, you know, the funny thing about that, I was showing it to my wife, and she was like, that's crazy because her um, grandpa had fallen out of a barn onto a pitchfork and died. And I didn't know that. So just little things like that of listening to these, you know, this voice in your head Mm -hmm. and the pieces will tell you what they want. You know, you've, 
that's definitely a lesson that I've shown or that you've shown me is mm. I don't know a month or two back we saw somebody walking down the street with a checkered jacket yeah. on <laughs> and 16 seconds later it was on a painting you right. know like a and it, it it's constant in your work you're yeah. you're able to listen or tap into that creativity it's all you've taught me that too it's all around you and you have to allow that faucet to stay open and yeah, you just leave it open, and then mm. you you just take what's given to you. Right. Yeah. And the by or the result of that is, uh, even though you're doing it for yourself, you it's gonna hit somebody else's eyes, and it's gonna, oh my gosh, my family member fell out of a barn. That story, right. and you're like, wow, you know, it creates new conversation, and it creates mm-hmm. um, something. Special. Yeah, you know, I've heard people, other people say, like, the more honest you are with your art or the more mm. specific you are, mm. then you speak to a broader audience as opposed, I think a lot of artists think, oh, like, I need to be more, you know, general and open and try mm. to create something that everybody's going to respond to and like. And... But the world has already seen millions of those things. Like the only way to give the world something that people are going to respond to is to like make it super specific to yourself, like using your own voice. Mm-hmm. And if you try to make something that people are going to like, it's just not going to. Plus you're kind of diluting the message or you could dilute the, you know, the visual aesthetic of it by trying to make it trying to make it to a broader audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things that I do that we kind of have in common is I collect found objects mm-hmm. and sometimes the materials, I'll just leave them laying around and nothing, I won't have a specific use for them, but then the materials will kind of speak, not speak to me, but ideas will flow or they'll come to me just by having them in my proximity. Does that work the same way for you? Absolutely. I mean, I have look around my studio. It's actually pretty clean right now, but <clears throat> I, I have all just these random things, and some of them have been floating around the studio for 15 years. You know, and then one day I'll come in here, I'm like, oh, that's why you're here, and finds a home. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm influenced by so much, but definitely like the material world of different you know, objects, paper and ephemera and different things. People walking down the street. Yeah. That's uh, 17 points. (laughs) Um, It's a private joke. (laughs) (laughs) I I heard something recently online where you said the world is your art store. Yeah. That was kind of relevant to what we're talking about. Although this last body of work, it... That changed. I was well, yeah. To go to the art store. <laughs> so, say so, I just contra- I'm just a walking contradiction. But I, Kevin, you also mentioned like people just bring you stuff too, right? Yeah. Like yeah. they're like, oh, I know Marcus may have a use for some of these, and I have. I get not probably not to the extent that you do, but I do have people go. You know, they'll text me. Go, hey, I've been saving these, you know, bike parts for you, right. or whatever. So, but yeah, I find that really interesting because that means that. You know, an idea that I've had has then gone out into other people's lives, and then they're seeing the world in a different way than they would have. 
because then they're seeing something like, oh, that would be, you know, Marcus would probably like that. And I mm-hmm. doubt I'm the only one. They probably applies, people that do that probably apply that concept to lots of parts of their life, you know. But, um, you know, it happens often. Sometimes it's really great stuff, and sometimes it's things. It's just like, why do you think I want this? In the front door and out <laughs> yeah. back to the trash can. So, but, you know, it's the thought that counts. Um, that, it, you know, to go back to Desolation Road, it was a really interesting project for me because I think with using materials in a lot, most of my previous work, in a way I was able to hide behind those materials because people that look at it can say, oh, look at that that's really cool or look how he combined those elements or like I remember those stamps or you know they can have a connection with the materials in a way that looking at a painting very few people have a relationship with paint like the paint alone is not enough to get you interested in the piece where when you're working with mixed media and sculptural things like people can have a connection with elements that are in the piece so with the paintings, that was a challenge, and that's why I knew I had to like really create these um, interesting narrative pieces so that people would have a a way into the piece, and a you know that would have a connection with that they don't necessarily have to have with collage and mixed media because I can't mostly you know if I have a reception or something and there was collage. The questions are, how long did it take? Where did you get the materials? And, oh, I remember, like, my grandma had that or something. So they have a connection with it. Like, they can see the time. They can see, like, oh, all these different materials came together, and then they have a personal story with some of the things. That didn't happen at this last exhibit. It was all about the content of the paintings. So speaking to that, there's a piece of yours at Alexander Hall that I know the background is like check deposit slips mm-hmm. and old checks and stuff like that. And like mm-hmm. that must have been a little bit you know, you have to you kinda of put yourself out there, you know, it's like, well, see if I can get the well, account number off that check here. It's funny. <laughs> um <clears throat> write some I need to get some more art supplies. Care yeah. of Marcus Kinney. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, some people have brought that up, but um no, I think they were obliterated to the point where that's not an issue. I'm just yeah. using that. We're as 50, a... 53 years old. Like yeah, exactly. Somebody, yeah, nobody, no, nobody our, my, checks anymore our children anyway, don't so, even know, yeah, you know, like, I still write check. checks. I'm not so. writing a check. But yeah, but that that's something that's relatable, I mean, to a certain To a certain audience, audience yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, they'll see that, oh, this, you know, it's an interesting use of the material, but that's what... You know, Kevin and I talked a little bit. Like, I was, we had lots of ideas for the show and installation based and different things. And I was like, I just didn't want this show to be about tricks, you know, quote unquote tricks. Like, I wanted it just to be images on a canvas. That, and if that's not, you know, if that's not good enough to keep people's attention or to get people interested, then I need to go back to the drawing board and try to figure out a way to do that because, you know, you can't, I don't, those, I literally saw 
thousands of people in lines waiting to get in those museums in Europe. And there's a reason for that. They're just paintings on a wall. <clears throat> there's no video, there's no installation, there's no neon, there's no, you know, it's just beautiful things hung on the wall that tells us something about our history and about, you know, human nature. And I think that's what inspired me to really try to focus on that with this body of work. Yeah, and I think a parallel to your, to your work and going, you know, going to the gallery and seeing yours and, you know, going to the, the museums in Europe or whatever, being in the presence of something that is kind of shifts your perspective a little bit mm -hmm. it's not just a painting on a wall and I'm not I'm not being you know I'm not trying to romanticize it either but there is something to be said about standing you know three feet or four feet away from something that just kind of changes the way you look at things yeah in a certain way and I think you know your your pieces are so rich or content dense mm -hmm. that it does that where you have to not that you have to stand there just to take in what's happening in the narrative but it does do something to the way you you know where you see that person walking down the street or whatever yeah you know. or conversely sometimes people sometimes the subject matter that you're putting onto the canvas is so rich that people they don't really want to look they don't want to face the reality that they are there in the presence of it looking at it right yeah, I had. It's funny because I had that conversation. I can't remember who it was, but someone at the reception came up to me, and we were talking about. It. I said, "Well, look, all of those paintings used to be in my head, and now they're no longer there." And she said, "Yeah, but now they're in my head." Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I'm, "I never thought about it that way." It's like I've transferred. Well, it's true yeah. because now I see one of the things I see that little the sucker mouth yeah. all the time now it's like I can't I can't get that out of my head it's like uh, the little round mouth with the teeth it's like, like trigger fish I'm so sorry I don't know it's just like yeah triggered for sure uh, <laughs> the triggered fish is triggering yeah exactly but it looks yeah. like an octopus mouth to me it looks like someone yeah. else said that they referred to him as an octopus um, probably because I watched that stupid octopus teacher I fell asleep oh, yeah. during that movie. Did you? Oh man, I the thought book it was, good. was amazing. Oh, it was a book. Too? Yeah, uh, it, the we read the. Well, we had the audio book. We had the trip. My wife and I, you know, makes makes the drive and go faster. Sure. And yeah, the book was excellent. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of that's the same thing with a lot of movies, like uh, where the crawdads sing. I thought that was yeah, a good movie, a good book, but the movie was not great. Yeah. I don't know. I think. Um, it was just too long for me. Yeah. It, they could have told that story in 10 minutes. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but... But who am I to say? So, I don't know what else to talk about. I wanted to, to talk a little bit about... I know you're from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. How does your... How long were you in the rural community i mean is that like did you did you were you grow did you grow up there grew up there yep so how does that play into what you make now i mean i know the, the desolation row has a lot of historical references just mm. because of when when it was made back in mm. the 60s you know there's a lot of references to you know strife and that kind of thing but how does that 
you know, your southern, rural southern upbringing come into work? Not just that body of work, but everything else that you do, or does it? No, I think it does, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was raised in the same area where both my parents were born. My father was actually at my mother's uh, birth because her, my grandmother helped deliver my uh, mother. My mother's side uh, Cajun. They had a little country store. And so uh, my dad was one of 12 kids and my mom was one of seven. So just growing up in a community where both of my families had, you know, there so many um, relatives and cousins and um, went to school K through 12, same building, graduated with the same 20 kids that I started kindergarten with basically. We had a few come and go, but for the most part, it's probably it's least, a soccer team or a soccer game. Yeah, it's like a soccer team. But I think, people, um, you know, that I didn't have a lot of, uh, I had such a great childhood that I didn't have to deal with a lot of, you know, stuff that other kids in big cities uh, grew up with, with peer pressure and, you know, trying to fit in. We just all, you know, we were like a bunch of siblings. Like we, there was nobody that was more important like we didn't have clicks when we got together like everybody got together and it was very um you know it was just a very simple childhood and i think maybe one of the reasons i've been able to do what i do is just that i didn't i wasn't told that i couldn't do it and you're also not working out any childhood trauma through your art which is a lot of i think that Truth be told, I think that's you know that can be a blockage for a lot of artists too because they're trying to. It also work be something. a lot of inspiration. I mean, you know, everybody's life is their life. We all play the cards that were dealt, and every you know, life's never easy all the time for everybody. Some people have it harder, and some people have it easier, but everybody's still trapped in their body. So I think um, again, that to me relates back to like the competition things, like. If you if you just look at what you're doing as yours, then you're just going to be a lot happier with the product that you're creating and not try to always have to um, go down that road. But yeah, I think just that small community, it was, you know, I was naive enough to believe that I could do this. And, uh, you know, I still feel that way. It's like... I guess. It seems like it's working out. Yeah. Um, so when did you move out of your small I was, town? well, when I went to college. And so um, I was 17 when I was in college. But my family is all still there. My sister actually lives on the land where, that I grew up on. Our house burned down. Um, she lives there, and my mom lives 10 minutes away. So. Um, it's, you know, your kids like to go back there. Yeah, they love it. Yeah, that sounds like a it. great place to have your kids have a connection to. Yeah, they love it, and they, both my wife's family and I, and my family, we have a really good relationships. So. She's from Minnesota, so we get to go up there a lot, and they, you know, it's two different cultures. When so. it's too hot to go to Louisiana, yeah. <laughs> go north. Yeah, so. Uh, and you know, 
along those lines, travel's been very important to me too. It's like inspires a lot of what I do and you know, it also gives me when I was a younger artist, I felt like I had to be in the studio all the time. Like I would be guilt feel guilty even if I missed a couple of days and then I think having a family and kind of accepting the role of just, you know, being a dad and going to work. So I kind of developed a routine in my studio, just nine to five, Monday through Friday. So my kids are off for Thanksgiving week, like I'm off. And then in the summers, <clears throat> like when the kids are off, like I take, we take the summers off. So um, I think that's been really healthy for me because I treat it like a job and it hasn't, it doesn't, um, I have friends, you know, they don't even start working until like two in the morning, you know, and it's, someone said that to me the other day, they were like, oh, how do you, uh, I think maybe he thought I had a job during the daytime and he was like, something about all that work must have been made at like two in the morning. I was like, no, nah, I'm dead asleep at two in the morning. So <laughs> I think that's important for people to hear too, that having a practice where you treat it like a job, then to me, it makes it, there's a concretization of the fact that this is what I want to do. This is for what I'm living, doing. You know, yeah. and you know, I go to, go to my studio at a certain time and, and the, but also the discipline to say, okay, I'm going to do Monday through Friday, but I am going to take the weekends off. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a lot. I think those decisions are probably a little easier to make when you have family and you have other things to do where I think it's even important for younger artists that don't have a family, you know, no, absolutely. go home on the weekend or, you know, at, at least, make a set of parameters that are workable and you know not you know not just trying to work all the time in the middle of the night unless that's you know where your creative juice well are. you know you got to do what you have to do but i think you know if i was to give advice to younger artists just starting out it would be like you set a designated space for your studio so that that's a space you can go to you don't have to put things away you know, at the end of the day, because you're sharing a space with your spouse or your roommate or whoever it is. Um, so then when you get back there the next day, every, you can just pick up where you left off. I mean, people ask me all the time how I stay inspired. It's not even about inspiration. It's just I have so many things. I always have something to do when I come to the studio. Like, there's never a time when I come to the studio when there isn't something that needs to be worked on. So even if I'm not feeling inspiration to start something new, it's like I can just work on things. And if you're having to constantly move your studio space and pick up and clean up after yourself, like you can't really get into that rhythm of really truly diving in deep to, you know, the process of creating a body of work. So I think that's important. I, I think like, not getting a real job when you're young and just starting because I've seen it happen. Like you think, sure, we all you know, have to have money, but you know, I would recommend getting a job that you hate because if you hate your job, you're not going to want to stay there and don't get a job where you're going to get benefits and a big salary because 
You know, you get that, and you're like, oh, I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to get a nicer apartment, and then three years later, you realize you haven't made a painting or done anything creatively, and you're and you're just, you know, into the system. So I always was aware of that when I was younger, just like refusing to get locked into, you know, this trajectory that was going to put me onto a different path. And it wasn't even that I wanted to like be a successful artist or, you know, I just wanted to live my life on my own terms. And to me, time is so much more important than money is because, you know, money, you spend it and time, you just, you can't get it back. Like once it's gone, it's gone. And, and <clears throat> so I just, you know, I've wanted, I realized like this is the only, we have one life and I just wanted to do it, you know, the way I wanted to do it or the way I want to keep doing it. So when did you, when in the earlier parts of your career, when did you realize, like you went to SCAD for, um, for photography and mm. then you started doing collage work right around, it was kind of blended together, right? When did you realize that you had something that you could keep producing, like the collage-based work? Was there like a, what was that like? Well, I, you know, I started in photography and I was doing really well with it. Um, actually got a lot of opportunities. I almost moved to New York and um, but I realized kind of early on in that part of my life that photography was not going to fulfill me in the way that I expected my life to be fulfilled. And uh, I just didn't want to spend, I felt like more of a voyeur than a participant in life. And so uh, I started you know, really exploring the idea of collaging, ironically, because I thought that I was going to teach myself to paint through collaging. So maybe I'm finally getting around to it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, and, and so I went kind of back and forth between the collage and photography. And um, I remember the first collage I was really proud of, it, and they were probably horrible, but I remember someone telling me, like, these are great, Marcus, but I really love your photography. But just by hearing those words, I was like, I'm gonna, I'll show you. Yeah. All right, and it just pushed me to do even more and, and till, the, till that sort of idea flipped where people are like, you know, I really love your collages instead of the photography, mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's- You were showing me stuff from, I think it was 2005, right? From, the, from Telfair. That book? Yeah. yeah. So it, in my mind, it, it happened really pretty rapidly. I mean, five years in a yeah in no, an artist's I mean, lifetime in five to be years, a museum. I basically had a retrospective. It's crazy in a museum. In a museum. Like, so five years after getting out of graduate school in photography, just, you had a retrospective. No, that so that was two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. So seven years. Okay. Still, that's a very short amount of time. Yeah. And it was not collage based. There were ceramics in there, right? It was, was kind of a mix. It was a lot yeah. of collage stuff. Collage, yeah. yeah. It was um, ceramics and collage and sculpture. But, well, you know, when it's, it's, 
amazing what you can do in one day. You know, and you come to a space and you designate. I mean, Kevin knows, like, mm -hmm. I don't even sit down all day. It's like you just, you mm -hmm. know, when I'm in here, I'm working. And you working, you can get a lot accomplished. It seems like you, aside from your work, you're also very connected in the in the artistic community. Mm. Was that an organic thing for you? How did how did you get yourself into the positions to be at the Telfair and to you know to to get to the collectors that you that you have now? I mean, I know your stuff is all over Savannah and and I'm sure nationally and and also you know other places too. So um, it happened organically, but. We started when I was still a student. We started having shows like in our houses and friends' houses. And we were making posters, literally. This was pre, you know, I didn't even have an email at that point. Pre-Facebook, pre You had a Instagram. pager. Yeah. But we, we would make posters, like circus posters, and we put them up all over town in coffee shops and poles. Circus seems like it would be a recurring theme for you. Yeah, I love the circus and parades and spectacles mostly. But we would just promote it that way, and we did a show where it was um, my buddy, two buddies put together in this house downtown, um, and we had 800 people come through over the course of two oh. days. And so... That showed me that, like, what I was doing, people were interested in, in being involved with and seeing. And then shortly after that, I uh, ran a gallery. And so that's one way I got involved with all the artists and art collectors and people in town is just by showing other people's work. And I did that for a few years. And I was still trying to make my own work. But then I realized, like, you, you know, that road is going to split like you have to make a choice you're going to promote other people's work or you're going to do your own and so i just decided to go down you know that road instead and uh, but i still curated shows i curated a show a few years ago during covid down in florida so i love that aspect of it because in a way it is like putting a collage together but you're using other people's other artists work um, and then, you know, just kind of tried to be a nice guy to people, say hello. And Savannah is such a great town in that sense that I feel like it's really easy to make connections here and meet people. And I love it because, you know, you can go into a room or an event and there's, you know, the poorest artist and the richest person in town and everybody in between from all different walks of life. So I think it's very democratic in that sense that you go to New York and bigger cities like you're not going to see that blend of people just because there's not that crossover you know I've always thought Savannah was really great in that sense that it kind of accepts everybody what's one of your most memorable moments generally in speaking? Savannah or just in life yeah something rad like radical what tell me something that a life ex like for me, I jumped out of planes like 15 times. I know many people have, but is there something that's just... Oh, man. There's so many. I don't know which one is interesting. I mean, you have kids. That's pretty amazing. Just... Yeah, four kids. Yeah. That's been wild. Um, 
But You're talking about travel once they um, they all get out and into college and doing their own thing, mm-hmm. there'll be a lot more travel involved then too. Yeah, well, we take them with. We've been all over. We're but when all they're going. out of the house, you'll have you'll be having to go visit them, right? Yeah, well, that's true. So um, that's I say that because that's kind of the spot I'm that's in where now you too. Are, My yeah. kids are all over the place. So what about so Savannah? If it's not the big you know life picture thing, maybe something that was interesting about Savannah that sticks with you. Besides George Clinton playing at the first time. <laughs> I saw James Brown in the park, too. <laughs> well, you know, Savannah is a special place for so many reasons. I mean, visually, it's like, mm-hmm. you you know, I've been all over the world, and there's very few places actually as beautiful as Savannah because the way it laid out and the foresight to plant those giant live oak trees that, I mean, when you plant a live oak tree, you're not going to see it in your own lifetime, what it's going to become. So it's Mm -hmm. like people that planted those trees was really a gift to the future generations. So Savannah is very special in that sense. And I think it goes to what I was just talking about with it being very, you know, welcoming to people. It's a very diverse community, too. Even even the artistic community. It's a very wide range of... Mm -hmm all cultures and backgrounds, but also very young, successful artists and, and artists that are later in their mm-hmm. careers that are still, you know, producing a lot of work. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a special place, but I mean, I've seen it change probably four times over the course of my life here. And How do you feel like where we are now? Well, you know, a lot of the old timers, and I'll include myself in that <laughs> scenario, you like to complain that oh, you, now you can't find parking downtown, you can't get into restaurants, or I, you know, you, studio space, no studio spaces. You go to play restaurants and you don't know a soul in there, um, and that's you know not the Savannah that all of us that have been here for a while um, became to to know, but. I think the positives are, you know, it is bringing in, certainly it's bringing in more collector uh, bases. I had a couple from Chicago that's bought a couple of my pieces in the past uh, year or so. They're, you know, newish to Savannah and um, I think new restaurants and new people wanting to do fun things. I mean, it used to be when, when I was, you know, younger, Anyone that was an art artist or created or, you know, in the art field was somehow connected to SCAD. And now you have people that, creative people that are just moving here because of SCAD and because of Savannah, that it is like this creative community. So um, I'm curious to see where it's going to go in the next 20 years. I think it's going to be even better than it is now. Yeah, me too. I'm a recent transplant, so. Yeah. So, I've seen it change just in the two years that I've been here, Kevin. I'm sure you probably have too. Yeah, There's definitely. Been a lot of, yeah. A lot of change. So we've talked about, I guess, in the past about how, you know, this, this podcast is a, could be a timestamp of mm-hmm. people's careers. You know, we get to interview people from all walks of life, but, you know, whoever's in, um, invested in the art community. But for you, you know, we, 
you've been creating work for about 20 years or so, and I would like to see like 30 what's, years, 30 Sadly. years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I'm interested in what's going to be in 20 years from now from you. Like yeah. it started with photography and, you know, collage, neon, taxidermy stuff to painting. I wonder what that's going to look like. It's going to be exciting. Well, I started telling people I was going to paint probably 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so I have been telling people that I am going to write a book uh -huh. one day. So maybe it's so going to take next, me 20, 20 years. The 20-year podcast will be author <laughs> yeah. Marcus Kinney. Uh, with his new novel out. I think I know the title. It's like F-A-F-O. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> around, find out. Yeah. Yes, sir. It's um, a good mantra. So, but yeah, I, I would, uh, a creative life is the best life. Let's end it there. Agreed. So thank you for spending some time with us, Marcus. You're welcome. And Marcus, actually, while we got you on, yeah. where can people find you online? Uh, Marcus Kenny's Parade, Instagram, uh, MarcusKenny.com. That's probably it. All right, I'm cool. not on Facebook. or. That's a good thing. And Laney Contemporary, they have your, your work. Yeah, Laney Contemporary. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to have anybody interviewed or if you have any questions or comments, please hit us up on Instagram at the 10 frame.